Well, hey, church family, I hope you're doing really well. It was so great to see some of you on Ash Wednesday this week and pray with you. It's been a surprising joy, like honestly, through the years uh, to be able to pray with people on Ash Wednesday in particular. Uh, it's, it's this weird thing where I, I feel like God always encourages me to remind people of who they are and that God has, that, that they've already been forgiven, that they're already free. And so they're not entering into the season of Lent with like trying to earn something from God, but rather trying to offer more of themselves. And it's just been beautiful. Every time I get to pray with people in that way, it just encourages me. It's encouraging to be around people who just say, I want more awareness of God in my life. Uh, it's beautiful. So anyway, uh, it also reminded me having some people here on Wednesday that just to remind you that our office is open. So if you want to come here and pray, uh, use one of our, use our prayer room or one of the other rooms here to hang out with somebody even, have a couple people in here, we welcome you to do that. Just contact me or Megan to make arrangements, make sure that we're around. Uh, we'll, make a, we'll make accommodations for you to come in, but we want this office that God's blessed us with to be used. And so please, 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 let's use it day or night. Just let us know when you want to come in. We want the space to be used. So um, I was just reminded of that week, the, that this week. Uh, I want to make sure that you know about our worship nights, our reset worship nights. Um, we had a video that went out about that this week, so I won't go into the details. You can watch that and read the email about that to get those details. But I want to encourage you to be a part of this. I think this is a part of what God is doing in resetting him as our first love in the life of our church. And I'm hoping that this will shape and frame the way that we worship together so that when we're able to all gather back on a regular basis on Sunday in the future, uh, we'll, have a, we'll have a better posture in worship, that, that our worship will be more focused on who Jesus is. So I'm excited about that. Make sure that you join us. Also, just want to remind you that one aspect of worship is giving tithe and offering. So make sure that you're doing that on a regular basis. It's that sign, that kind of symbol of God, everything that you've given me is yours anyway. And so I'm giving back to you, God, because it belongs to you anyway. And so it's, it's, it is in itself an act of worship. And we just you kind of put that on deposit or on loan with us uh, so that God can do what he wants to do through our church family. But ultimately, it's about worship. It's about giving him gifts, uh, lavishing your love on him through your offering. So I want to encourage you to continue to do that. Uh, I'm going to pray for us as we get ready to dive into the word. Father in heaven, um, it is an absolute joy and privilege to be able to uh, just open your words, God, and share from your word today with my friends. Uh, God, I know that we come before you a holy God, um, Lord, that you are above and beyond anything that we could think or imagine. God, you are perfect in all of your ways, Lord. But I know that even though that's true, we, I get to boldly come with my friends before your throne because of what Jesus has done, that there's no shame or condemnation. I don't have to cower in fear, but I get to approach your throne boldly as a son before a father. Thank you, Jesus, for making a way for me and for us that I am completely and totally free. Lord, that my friends are completely and, uh, completely and totally free, saved to the uttermost. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would pour out understanding and discernment today on, ear, on ears that are listening and hearts that are open, on minds that want to understand. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bring conviction and encouragement, Lord, rest and peace, Lord, truth to bear on areas of our life through the word today. 
I pray, God, only what is from you will stick and that nothing else will matter. Nothing else will be heard. Let it just go right past, right past everyone's hearts and minds, Lord, if it's not supposed to be heard, Lord. I pray, Jesus, I will exalt you and lift you up in this next few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, friends. Well, we have been in this series since the beginning of the year on trying to figure out what does it mean for God to be our first love. We started out in Luke, uh, where Jesus has this exchange with a uh, with an expert in the law, and he repeats this phrase that's uh, repeated throughout Scripture that we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. And we've been looking at how what does it look like then for our uh, for us to actually do that to love God in that way, and we've said this is like really about God being our first love, that. Uh, he has to be our utmost desire and the thing or the person which we are most devoted to. That's what it means to love God, that we love him above everything else. That's a first love in one way, but that also we love him with everything we have. That's another aspect of him being our first love. So uh, uh, more than everything else and with everything we have. That's what it means to love God and have him be our first love. What we've done over the last couple of weeks is started to pull apart those aspects, heart, soul, mind, strength, so that we can better understand what does it actually mean for us to love God with everything that we have. So we've talked about the heart, and now we're going to shift gears and talk about the soul. What does it mean to love God with all of my soul? And this idea of the soul is something that's like, uh, on the one hand, really familiar to us. So we all have some kind of vague idea that comes to mind when I say the word soul, but also kind of foreign. It's, it's like not very specific for us. We know that the soul kind of has something to do um, with, their, with more than flesh and bone, with more than blood and guts, more than, um, more than what you can see with the eye. But we don't really usually have this narrow definition of what the soul is. Or if we do, it's typically, I'm going to be honest, not the biblical definition or understanding of the soul. And the soul is like a, um, a concept that actually is found in almost every human culture throughout history. There's some uh, way to refer to this aspect of humanity. It's also something that's very prevalent in, in pop culture. Uh, think about this with me for a second, the way the soul is in pop culture. It, over this last year, 2020 into 2021, we have been told over and over and over again that what we need to do is follow the science and the data. Follow the science and the data in order to save our physical lives. That there are people sick and all of this is true. I know this firsthand, okay? So we've been told this over and over again. We've heard more from the CDC and the WHO and the NIH, all of these different names of organizations more in the last year than you've heard in your entire lifetime. I guarantee it. Like, unless you are a doctor or epidemiologist or someone, you probably don't walk around thinking about these organizations right? But over this last year, they've been front and center, all aimed at saving and preserving physical human life based off science. In the middle of all of this, where heightened awareness and heightened focus on our physical lives and science and data, in the middle of all of that, Disney, the biggest producer of films, right? This monstrous kind of mega media giant releases a movie called Soul, don't you think that's really interesting? 
Then in the midst of all of this focus on the physical nature and what's going on with us, Disney releases a movie about something that is uh, that everyone would say, this is something that science can't quite touch. There's something here about science that doesn't quite speak to this. And it releases this movie uh, called Soul. And uh, it's, a, it's a cute movie uh, for, for it's, it's aimed at kids. It's not trying to have a clear, paint a clear theology or philosophy of what the soul is. It's meant to be entertaining. But to be honest, it's doing what so many people do. It's borrowing from all of these ideas about what the soul is. So there's a, a little bit of Eastern religion and mysticism, not overt, but it's there. There's a little bit of Greek philosophy in the movie about what the soul is. There's a little bit of kind of like almost pseudo-Christian theology around what the soul is. There's, um, there's all these different kind of pieces because it's all trying to grasp with this kind of big question of what is the soul or more kind of like um, more point to the point. The movie, actually the subtitle is What Makes You, You. That's what the movie is going after. And obviously the answer that Disney wants you to believe, and, and I think there's some truth to this, that what makes you, you is the soul. It's an assumption that you are more than DNA. You are more than what you see physically, that there's something more about you. And I think that most people agree with that kind of general understanding of the soul, that there's something about us that's more than what you can see physically, more blood and, more than blood and bone, more than synapses firing and neurons firing, even if they don't know what it is. There's something that's essential and enduring about us as human beings. It's something, um, there's something about us that both is influences everything we are and influenced by everything that we are. But here's the deal. The biblical concept of the soul can't be boiled down to one neat and tidy definition or package. Uh, uh, I wish that it could be, but it really can't. You're talking about literature that spans centuries that is written uh, in, in, in different languages over the course of period of time. It's not to say there isn't any coherence to it. I'm just saying it's not as neat and tidy as I would like for it to be. As a matter of fact, the, the idea of what is the soul is, a con, is like a, a subject of lots of different books and whole courses of theology and that, that kind of stuff. Now, we could nerd out on this for a really long time, but there is no way, one, I will keep your attention, or two, that I could ever say everything there is to say about this in this area. So, so I'm not going to do justice to kind of the biblical idea of soul in this next probably 20, 30 minutes. Uh, I, and I don't really want to do just like content dump. I don't want to just do like information transfer from here to there. But at the same time, I feel like it's important for us to think about what this is, because if we don't know what the soul is, or we have kind of like um, uh, misplaced ideas about that, how will we love God with all of our soul? So as, as thinking followers of Jesus, we need to, if I say I need to love God with all my soul, how do I respond to that? <laughs> how do I respond to that invitation to love God with all of my soul? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at three kind of big categories or buckets to think about the soul to help us understand what does it mean to love God with all my soul. Disclaimer, it's going to be a little more heady than probably what I would prefer. And I'm not going to say everything about it. So those are my disclaimers. Let's go. So here's number one. The soul in the Bible is often referred to as making reference to something as a unique living thing. So you see the word soul, and sometimes when you see that word, it just refers to a unique living thing. 
So there's two related thoughts here, life and uniqueness. <laughs> something that's living and something that is distinct from other things. So for example, Genesis, very first page of the Bible, Genesis chapter one, uh, verse 20, it says that God filled the water and the waters were teeming with living creatures. Uh, it's interesting because the Bible, the actual language Hebrew that was, that, that was written in, it doesn't say creatures. There are other words uh, that, would, that actually mean creature in Hebrew. What it actually says is living souls. So it's not saying, just to be clear, that the fish and the dolphins have a soul in the same way that we're going to talk about human beings do. What it's trying to do is, is differentiate those things as living things uh, as opposed to not living. And more than that, they're living, but they're also distinct from other living things. So one kind of concept out there is there isn't, uh, we aren't individuals, but we're all a part of this universal one kind of soul. And that is not the biblical picture of, of, of what, a, what the soul means. We're all individual, living and distinct, even though we might be interconnected. Again, can't go into all of that right now. So when the Bible sometimes uses the word soul, it's just referring to something that's been given a unique life to live. Uh, it's an acknowledgement. This is a thing that lives and breathes or a person that lives and breathes because God has given it life and it's distinct from other, other things. So it's a way to kind of designate uh, uh, something as a unique living individual. Now, this is a little bit weird for us to, to use this language, but this was common and still is used today. So if you were on a boat or on an airplane, uh, the people that are on the plane are counted as souls. At least they used to be more. So let's say there were 29 people on a boat and the captain's log was giving an account of how many people made it through the storm. He would say there were 29 souls on the ship and 29 souls remain. Meaning there are 29 living individual people that were on the boat and there are still 29 individual living people on the boat. The 29 souls. They're not making reference to anything spiritual. They're making reference to things that are living. And sometimes that's exactly what the Bible is doing. And tied to this idea, this is the key. So here's why this is important. Um, um, the... I'm sorry, my my I got my, my brain started going a different direction. I don't I don't want to go I don't want to go into that. Uh, the the, the tied to this idea is that in this life I only get one of those lives in this body to live. This unique life that I'm living right here in my body is the only one that I actually get to live. So for example, there, Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 11, he's talking about him giving up his life. He says, look, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And the word there for life, laying down his life, is actually the word soul. I will lay down my soul for the sheep. So what Jesus is kind of using is this idea of soul as the life that he's been given to live here on this earth. And that life, in some sense, ends when a person dies in their flesh. I'm living here in this physical body and one point in time I'm going to give that up. And so soul in this sense just refers to the life that I live in this body. What's, what's kind of the point I'm trying to make here is that, that, um, that each and every one of us 
have been given one life to live in this body. Each and, uh, each and every one of us are individual living souls, creatures given life by God, created here and given life by God. And to think about our soul means to think about, we have to think about the life that we're living here as distinct from other people and that we only have one. There is no one else who can live your life. And you don't get to live multiple lives. That's another kind of um, Eastern idea about what life is. Actually, you just get, you get reincarnated. Your soul just kind of jumps from thing to thing, from this life to the next life. That's not the biblical idea. You get one life to live here in this body. <clears throat> and it all comes from him. It's a gift from God. No one else can live that life. And he is the source of you living this life. Now, why does that matter? Well, because I think we have to be reminded regularly that the life that we live here in this life is a gift from God. That we didn't do anything to bring ourselves into existence. We didn't contribute anything to our creation. It was all God. It's only because he says, I want that one to live here on earth that we live and breathe and have our being anyway. It's only because of him. He is the source of our life. And, and he wants us to live that life in this body. And, and, and actually, it is a gift that we get to do that. But if we're not careful, we can be have a sense of entitlement about our lives, as though God owes us something. It's like, no, he doesn't owe us anything. This was his idea. He created us. We're made in his image. And so he has the final say-so about all the things that happen in this life. I don't, I, truth is, I don't actually own myself. I'm just responsible to steward what he entrusted to me. Every breath I breathe, every joy, every pain, all those things in life, I only ever get to experience because God has given me this gift. He made it possible for me to live as a unique living individual. And so I, I, need, to, I need to have that clearly in my mind so that I don't think that God owes me something. But also I think it's important because the life and what we do in this life really matters. God could have made us spiritual beings with no body. He could have made us just disembodied souls wandering around, uh, not on planet Earth. But that's not how he chose to do things. He put us as living, breathing human beings here on this life. And what we do in this unique life, the one that God has given us here, and, and in my life, really matters to God. So loving God with all of our soul, if we think about the soul as this way, as the, as the unique life that I've been given as distinct from other people, loving God with all, all my soul means I need to live in a conscious awareness to be really intentional that I'm, I have gratitude that my life isn't my own. <laughs> That, that this is a gift from him. So to love God lives means to live in this place, of, in this posture of gratitude for the life that I get to live, number one. And, and, you know, we sing the song that life is the gift and the giver is good. It's a line in the song that we sing sometimes. And that line, I think, is so, so important that we remember that life is a gift and the giver is good. And to love God with all my soul means, gosh, I have to acknowledge that this is his life anyway. I need to rem remember that he is the gift, <laughs> that this is all a gift and it's all from him. 
And then the next thing I think it would mean for us to love God with all of our soul in this way, if we're thinking about this aspect of the soul, is that I would be very careful to be a good steward and to honor the body that I live in and, and honor the image of God and other people and, that, and actually uh, to recognize the importance of what we actually do in this life. Instead of, um, instead of kind of throwing, throwing this life away because it doesn't really matter because what really matters is what comes next, there's a, a shred of truth with that, but that's a distortion of the truth. Actually, God put us here in this earth and these, and these bodies and what we do with our time, with our energy, with our resources, it really does matter. So we've got to think about, God, how can I honor you with this life that I live in this body? Not only that, how do I honor the image of God and other people? How do I not disparage the image of God and other people? I need to think about the preciousness of life, both in my enemies and in the unborn. I need to think about the precious of life uh, in, in, in both the old and the young, in, in, in people I get along with and spend time with, and then people I don't know. It's all precious unto the Lord. And so I need to really seriously love God by honoring the life that he has given us to live. So that's number one. The second aspect of the soul and kind of this biblical understanding is that the soul is something that is enduring and more than merely physical. The soul is something that's enduring and more than merely physical. Now, this aspect of the soul, I think, is probably maybe what is more familiar to, to most of us. When we think about the soul, maybe this is the aspect of the soul rather than the other one that I was just talking about, I think feels more familiar to us. And there is a, a definite thread throughout scripture that the soul is somehow other than and different than just flesh and bone, just the physical body that I live in. So for example, here's just one example. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Jesus says this, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So without taking time to unpack all of this, this scripture, Jesus is using here this worldview, a clear, a clear sense of a worldview, that there can be a death of our physical body, but that the death of that physical body is not our only or maybe our ultimate concern. There's also something about us that's distinct from that physical body, distinct from our flesh and bone and, and kind of beating heart. And that what happens to that aspect of it, which he calls the soul, uh, we have to recognize that God has final say over that part of us too, our soul. That ultimately we need to not just think about our physical body, but we have to consider what is happening to our soul anyway. And that really ultimately that should be a concern for us as well. Not just a physical body, but also this other thing, the soul or the spiritual side of us. And the Bible kind of comes at this from lots of different angles. Uh, the basic idea is that there is something that is essential to me that it has the possibility of enduring beyond the physical existence that I have here on earth. Guys, I know that this is like super heady, so bear with me. I think this, this is really important. I know that this is like a little, a little tricky. It just feels like we're just talking about just odd topics and subjects, but this is so critically important, I think, for us to get. So hang in there with me here on this, okay? For, so, so it's this idea that there is this, there's this possibility of something enduring and essential to me that, that can move beyond just my physical existence when I die. 
And so because of that, I shouldn't just be caught up in just my physical existence. So not just that number one aspect of the soul, but there's this other part of me that I need to learn how to trust God and love God with this other part of me, be in relationship with God with this other part of me that's going to endure beyond the grave. It can exist beyond my physical death. Now, again, we don't have time to dive into all of the ins and outs of this. Uh, but one of the things that makes this complicated is that um, Greek language and philosophy have really kind of influenced the way that we think about the body and the soul, about kind of the flesh and the spirit. And the language is sometimes the same, but, the, but actually the Bible actually sometimes means something very different than what Greek philosophy might have meant. And so just as a way, this is a way oversimplification. But typically in kind of the Greek philosophical and theological world, there is spiritual and physical and everything that's spiritual is so much better and so much more important than the physical that the physical doesn't really matter. The spiritual is what is real and the physical is not what is real. And so sometimes when we read the Bible, we actually kind of, even if you've never studied those topics or thought much about it, somewhere operating in the back of your mind, you've heard that, you've thought that, you've been taught to even think that way. And, and so we interpret the Bible and what it has to say about the soul through that lens. And the problem is it's a mixed bag of truth. There are some elements that are true. Jesus is saying, look, there's this soul part of you that, that you need, really need to be concerned with. But as we just learned, man, there's a physical part of us, the life we live in this body that's really important too. So we, we have to be careful when we come to these categories that we're constantly going, okay, what does God's word say about this? How can, I, how can I better understand what is, what's the Bible actually teach? And so it's really clear that the scriptures have this um, kind of overarching belief that there is this enduring part of us that actually can kind of exist and, and live beyond the grave, beyond our physical existence. But it's something to be held in tension with the life that we live here and now. What the Bible wants us to recognize, I think, is that there is a physical life we live here and now, but there's also an eternal destiny. And what happens to our soul, our life here and now, uh, in our relationship with God here and right now, it is actually the most important thing because it's something that will endure forever and ever beyond this physical body. It's something above and beyond. And so therefore, we actually need to take Jesus' word seriously. We don't just fear what happens to our physical body. Right now, we have a world living in fear of what will happen to our physical bodies, but not giving much attention to their eternal soul. I think Jesus would say, hey guys, yeah, I want you to care for each other physically. Look, I am the God who heals you. I am the one who walked around and changed and, and healed blind eyes and, and healed deaf ears. I did all that. So I care about your body, but I also care about your soul. So what does it mean then to love God with all of our soul when thinking about it this way? With this, uh, what is essential and enduring something that can go beyond life? It means that I live this life with eternity in mind at all times. I live this life with eternity in mind at all times. I don't just live for here and now and what feels good or what I feel like my body needs just right here and now. I don't try to preserve my existence and my life just here, just here and now, but instead I'm trying to think about the eternal salvation of my soul. I'm living in conscious trust, not just in that Jesus will provide for my physical needs and, and my food and my shelter, but that actually Jesus has made provision for my soul to be with him forever and ever and ever. 
To love God with my, with my soul means that I can't just love him with just my physical body. I actually need to love him and I actually need to give over to him my eternal life, not just my physical life here and now. So what does it mean like practically? Well, if, if, if we're caught up all the time in our physical and material needs, if we're caught up more in that rather than our spiritual or the soul needs, We've got things off balance. Because the truth is, everything that we have in this life won't go with us beyond the grave, except for our soul. The truth is, all of your money, all of your possessions, all of your family, all of your children, all of those things, right? There will be some point in life where your life gives way and you can't take those things with you to the other side. You can't take those things with you into eternity. I, I don't know what it's going to look like for us to, with our, our relationship with our kids and our wives. So, so don't, don't, we're not going to even try to get into that world. But I'm saying all the stuff that we build up our lives and put all of our energy and attention to building up and protecting here in, in our life, most of those things don't matter. Because for the rest of your life, for all of eternity, you will be spending with Jesus. And so what we really need to think about is the state of our eternity. What is going to happen beyond this physical death? You will spend eternity somewhere. This is a guarantee. All of us one day are going to meet our maker and we will spend eternity somewhere. We will either be in this, this new recreated heaven and earth with Jesus forever or we will be in hell. Those are the two destinations that we have. That's it. And so what we need to be thinking about is, man, how do I form my life right now so that I'm the kind of person who wants to be with Jesus for eternity in this new heaven and this new earth? So we've got to live with that eternality kind of in mind. And, and, and look, I just think that this is like, this is an area for, for many, many, many of us, myself included, uh, just not eternally minded. I'm so earthly minded. I'm so focused on the needs of today, the things that are here right now. And so I feel like what God is asking for me is just to lift up my gaze and think about how do I love him with my soul? Meaning, how do I think about the eternal state (laughs) that I will be in with God forever and ever? So that's the next one. The last category, bucket number three of the soul is this. The soul as referring to you. (laughs) The soul as referring to you. The way that sometimes the scripture refers to the soul has to do with what's absolutely central or essential to who you are. The, the soul is the thing that sums up all that you are as a person. It's the thing that unifies you as a person, your whole self or yourself. Actually, the way the, the word soul is often used, you could swap it out with myself or yourself. So when he says, the psalmist would say something about, oh, my soul, he's basically saying he's talking to himself. It's a way of referring to the whole person. So here's an example. When Jesus is about to go to the cross and he's praying in the garden and he is is overwhelmed with what's about to happen. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. It's this way, it's a poetic way uh, of kind of saying, look, every single part of me, from the depths of me to everything else, my whole self is completely and totally overwhelmed. There's not any part of me that this doesn't touch. 
the deepest part of me and everything else you see, there's no part of me that's not affected by this. I'm overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. This happens, this, this, this idea of the psalm, you can really, this, uh, this idea of the soul, you can really see this in the psalms. So when you read the psalms and you, and you see something where uh, the psalmist would say something like, oh, my soul, why are you so downcast? He's referring to himself. Or how about this? As the deer pants over the water, so my soul longs after you. Well, when he, the psalmist says that, he's not talking about a specific part of his body longing for God. He's talking about everything. He's talking about his whole self. Everything that makes me, me, needs more of you. Let me say that again. Everything that makes me, me, needs more of you. So when he talks about the soul, that's what he means. Or maybe on the positive side. So those are the longings of the soul. Maybe on the more positive side, here's what the psalmist would say in another place. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Praise his holy name. Everything in me, my thoughts, my emotions, my feelings, my, my physical body, everything here, everything. Praise the Lord. Everything that makes me, me wants more of you. Everything that makes me, me not just needs more of you, it wants more of you. That's what it means to love God with our soul. When we think about the soul in this way, it's not just one thing about you, it's everything about you. Everything about you. You as an integrated whole person. And this is oftentimes the way the Bible uses the word soul. And God's heart for you, God's heart for you, is that you become an integrated whole person without divided loves or loyalty, uh, without being aimless, without being pulled in lots of different directions, but that you are a unified whole person oriented towards him. I think about Jesus' words in Matthew um, chapter 11, verse uh, 28 through 30. Here's what he says. Love this verse. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. The picture here, the invitation from Jesus, isn't just for someone who needs physical rest. It's not someone uh, who, um, who just needs a vacation because they've been working too hard. It's about someone who needs healing and restoration for their restless soul. Someone who's feeling kind of spiritually and emotionally stuck. Someone who is feeling depleted at the deepest core. Someone who's feeling burdened and heavy. And the way to describe that is that there needs to be rest for the soul. Again, not just a physical rest, but man, I feel like the, the deepest parts of who I am and my whole entire self feels like it needs something more than physical rest. It needs some sort of spiritual rest, we might say. Jesus would say, come to me and have rest for your souls. It's interesting, in that Disney movie, they portray people with lost souls. They actually have this, this little uh, kind of like vignette where there are lost souls who are people who are kind of stuck in a rut. They don't know who they are. They don't know what their, their purpose is. And so they're stranded somehow, disconnected from their, their physical body. While I don't agree necessarily with that accurate picture, I think it's actually a good metaphor for how, many, so, how, many, um, how, how so many of us go through life uh, with our souls divided and distracted, so caught up in things here that we're not actually living even though we're alive. 
Actually, some, uh, some doctors and, and, and different practices and disciplines will talk about the sickness of the soul. A, there's actually this, a disease of the soul. It's not, a, it's not a medical condition, but it's something unto that because it so affects a person that it's hard to identify. Again, Jesus' vision for your life is that your soul would be made alive in him, that you would find rest for your soul, like someone who needs oxygen, getting oxygen back into their lungs. And so his heart for you is that we would grow in this kind of posture of dependency on the one who is gentle and humble of heart to restore our weary souls. What he wants for us is this to not be something that is just a one-time occurrence. Not something we did in an act of desperation when we heard the message of the gospel one time and we said, Jesus, I need you. Not something we just do in our times of desperation, but it's an ongoing posture of our heart to receive what we need from Jesus for our souls, where we recognize our dependency on him. Not something where we just occasionally get moved by a song or by a message, uh, but that we continually come to the one who is gentle and humble in heart to receive rest for our souls. And that's ultimately what loving God with all of our soul is, I think, in this aspect, that we're continually reorienting all that we are toward him. Whether it's in like desperation, Jesus, I need you, because there's nothing wrong with that. There are times where that happens, where we just, I just, I just, I feel so lost. I feel so divided. I feel so distracted. So that's great. That's fine. That we, we absolutely need that. But he, what he really desires for is the posture of our heart on an ongoing basis to constantly saying, Lord, my, my soul needs you. Everything in me needs everything of you. All of me wants and needs all of you. All of me pursuing all of him at all times. That is what it means to love God with all my soul. All of me pursuing all of him. All of you pursuing all of him. That's what it means to love God with your soul. As we kind of round it out here, I realize that these are, are in some ways academic thoughts these different aspects of the soul. But I think it's important for us to think about that because I think what God wants is for us to not just um, go through the categories of have I read my Bible or have I done my devotions and kind of check the list. Did I show up on Sunday? Did I watch the live stream? Did I come to the worship night? But what he wants is he wants our love and our affection and he wants it from every place. Enough. And so he's created this, this, these words and given us these, this, this language to explain this, this mysterious thing of loving him. And he wants us to do this with all of our soul. So I think it's important for us to not let this be an academic exercise in what the soul is, but more of an examination of, gosh, do I love God with all of my soul? So which aspects of the soul stand out to you? Which aspect of the soul stands out to you? Maybe you've been living with a sense of entitlement. Maybe you've been living forgetting that the life that you live in your body is an absolute gift from God and that the giver is good. Maybe you've been forgiving that you only get this one life in this body and that is a gift. And so maybe what you're feeling is this nudge to love God with all your soul in the sense that you need to live this life for his glory really well. 
and that you'll need to live with a sense of gratitude. I don't know, but maybe that's the aspect that's being highlighted for you. Maybe you've not thought about that ever or in a long time. Maybe the aspect that's being highlighted for, for you is that you're not living just a life in the physical body. It's not just about what's happening here and today, but actually you have an enduring part of you, your soul that will exist beyond your death. And maybe what God is highlighting for you is that you haven't thought about that in a long time. You've been thinking about what you need here and now, but not thinking about what you need for all of eternity. So maybe the aspect that God is highlighting for you, loving him with your soul, is thinking about your eternal destiny with him. Maybe it's that last part. Maybe you feel a little bit like a lost soul or a sick soul. Maybe you feel like your soul is weary. Maybe you feel like your soul is divided. Like, I, I, I feel like my life is going lots of different directions. I can't say that all of me wants all of him. And I feel like maybe that God is asking me to come and have an integrated, holistic kind of life where my soul pants for him like the deer pants for the water where I long for him, where I long to be with him, where everything in me praises the Lord. There's no aspect of me, no aspect of my life that's not giving him glory. Maybe that's the aspect of the soul that God is highlighting for you. What I would encourage you to do this week is to lean into that in prayer and ask the Lord, which, which one of these areas is God highlighting for you? And then what's the invitation of the Lord to step in and learn how to love him with all of your soul in this area? Maybe it's all three. Don't make it too big. Make it simple. <laughs> Boil it down to the thing that you feel like God is really highlighting for you. And then step into that. And before we go, I want us to take communion together. And here's why I think it's so important to do that. I want to proclaim some good news to you about your soul. Because if we're not careful, whether we're talking about this or loving God with all of our heart, all these different things, it can just feel like more that we need to do and we'll forget what God has already done for us. And that anything we do is a response to what Jesus has already done for us. So I wanna take communion together and I wanna do that to proclaim the truth of what Jesus has already done for your soul. Jesus lived a life in this body, a sinless, perfect life, a life we were meant to live, but we couldn't live. And he did that completely, the spotless lamb of God for you and for me. And like he said, I am the good shepherd. He gave up that life, that soul here on life. He gave up that life for you and me. He went to the cross for our sake to do what we could not do for ourselves. And because he did that, we are completely and totally forgiven and free. There is no sin. Our sins are washed white as snow. They're, they're cast as far as from the east to the west, the scripture said. We are completely and totally and utterly forgiven. The, the, in my old language, we would say saved to the uttermost in my church tradition. I'm completely and totally saved because of what Jesus has done. I don't get to add anything to that. All I get to do is step into the enjoyment of that, posture myself to receive the salvation that he's given me. So he laid down his physical life 
so that you could have spiritual life, so that your soul could endure with him forever. The truth is that you get to live with Jesus forever and ever. That enduring part of you gets to have a relationship with God forever and ever because of what Jesus did in his life and his death and his resurrection. You get to have salvation for your soul, not just your physical body. And you are being remade in the image of your creator. You are being born again. If you have received Jesus and you trust him with your life, that soul is being reborn right now. It's being renewed in the image of his creator. That is the truth of what the body and the blood mean for you, is that you are being made new in this new covenant with him. That's the truth. And more than that, the eternal life that you get to live with him forever and ever Jesus says, because of who I am and because of what I've done, you get to experience that eternal life here and now. And that means that the restlessness of your soul can be satisfied here on earth. It means that you can have life abundantly right here, right now, because of Jesus and because you are connected with Jesus. So this is not just about you doing it all. It's not just about you putting on a better show for God. It's actually more about you giving over uh, to God what he has already won for you on the cross. It's more about you yielding yourself over to this great salvation he has already won. It is the kindness of the Lord that leads us to a change of direction. That's repentance. And so right now, as you get ready to receive communion, I want you to be reminded of what Jesus has done for your soul. He has saved you completely and totally, and he will save you. And he is saving you. That's really good news. So today as you take communion, don't do it with a sense of sorrow. Do it with a sense of gratitude. Do it with a sense of yielding over to what Jesus has won for you. God bless you as you take the body and the blood today.